turning open to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing in our series on the church covenant, which I've, I've just been very, very excited about, enjoying. It's been very fun. I love being reminded of why we come together as a church. I love being reminded of why God has a church, has a body for his son, has a bride for his son. So we hopefully today will be freshly stirred yet again to embrace our topic this morning, which is our commitment to value and protect biblical fellowship. If we would, uh, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, we'll read that. And they, which is the, the new Christians of the first century right after the day of Pentecost, Jesus has come back. He spent 50 days with the disciples, appearing in different places to different people. Then he ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes with a bang and power. And then the, these new people, these new Christians, thousands are being added to the church daily, the Bible tells us, right before this. And now they, that's these people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. Father, we, we recognize again today that the church is your business. It's your desire and it's your glory being displayed for your enjoyment, for our enjoyment, and for the proclamation of your glory to everybody that looks on. So, Father, would you today stir in us a desire to be devoted, to value and protect fellowship together. As the new believers did. As they were just saying, look, we're new in this thing and we want to live life together. May we be inspired by that. May we be provoked by that. And may we have lasting change because of our discussion of that. Father, please have your way. In your Son. By your Spirit. Amen. Well, fellowship in the original language, which many of you may have heard the, the word before, it's in the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word was koinonia, which meant a, a sharing in, a participation in, and a communion. And, and, we, and we have, from the word koinonia, we can deduce that to where we actually have the word community comes from that. Where there's a sharing in, there's a participation in, there's a commonality that's going on. And this, in Acts, is we, we find that this devotion and this everything, togetherness, this sharing, became a, a, such a, a unique part of their lives that everything was in common. They're selling things. They're selling things off in order to meet the needs of the people that are around them. They're sharing in life together. They have a participation in life together. They have a partnership in life together. So here's the background of this word. Now, today... I think sadly, oftentimes, we use the word fellowship in a way that it's not intended to be used. Because we oftentimes equate fellowship with catching up with one another in the foyer. Right before we come in. Oh, how, how's it going? Oh, good, great, glad to hear it, awesome, wonderful. Or we might interpret fellowship as just eating a meal together. We're just, we ate, we broke bread together. It was great. It was, we just visited together. Or we oftentimes might find that fellowship for a family, if we're going to have family fellowship time, then kids, come on in, let's watch a movie together. 
And let's fellowship. Let's have some fellowship together. Let's watch a movie. Let's enjoy it. Let's... We might say that fellowship is just kind of spending time together. Just me, ladies getting off to go shopping together and they get home and they just talk about what time, great time of fellowship they have just spending time together. And, or guys getting together to watch a game. It's just, yeah, we just have fellowship. It was great. We, we need to be careful how we use the word fellowship because oftentimes we use the word fellowship to describe, in essence, what friendship is. Where friendship is a mutual association, it's, it's a commonality, it's, we, have, we are friends because we enjoy the same things. Fellowship goes deeper than that. We experience fellowship within the context of friendship. But are we going deep enough? All these activities that I've just described is really God's ordained opportunities for us to move toward and into fellowship. A sharing together, participation with a communion together. Fellowship is a function of the church that's non-negotiable. We are convinced from the New Testament that when we talk about experiencing fellowship together, we're not saying, look, if it, if it fits you, if you prefer it, if you're inclined toward, we're really not saying that. We're saying we ought to be inclined toward fellowship because we believe it's God's desire for His church. We're going to find out the depths of that as we walk through this morning. It calls for our devotion, but, but greater than that, it calls for us to value it and protect it. And if we're using the word fellowship in ways that really don't describe truly the essence and meaning of fellowship, then we're probably not valuing and protecting enough of what fellowship is. If you remember... Um, the movie, The Lord of the Rings, the first movie, I believe it's called The Fellowship of the Ring. I don't, I don't remember the entire movie because that's the only one I fell asleep during while I was watching. It just moved way too slow, like the action scenes fighting. I'm with that. Gotcha. That's cool. And these creatures. But what was the first one? The Fellowship of the Ring. What did they do? They all came around. They all shared something in common. And the, the, what they shared in common was to accomplish a particular goal and the united together to say let's partner together we're sharing in making sure this ring gets destroyed because that's what has to happen and they all come around Frodo they protect him they value what's going on and it changes the way they're living they go from living their separate lives to now living something that's about accomplishing a goal a purpose we need to see fellowship in the church is much of the same thing. We have a mandate. We've been called out of the world. We now come into the church and now we're supposed to be accomplishing a particular goal. Biblical fellowship is about accomplishing something. It's moving to the depths of our sharing in, the depths of the common ground that uh, Matt preached about fellowship way back in the beginning of August. And An excellent message. Please get that. Listen to it. Talks about the common ground that we have, the common mission that we have. But here we have a common ground a common sharing, and we're moving towards something. We're moving towards something that God's glory is attached to. And He attaches it to us, to what He wants us to do. Biblical fellowship, I think, is just easily said, is, is based on a common sharing of the person of God. We're sharing in who God is. Bruce Milne says this in his book, Knowing the Truth. Koinonia essentially means sharing together in something. Its emphasis, therefore, 
this emphasis is therefore somewhat different from the general use of fellowship among us today, i.e. mutual association. The two meanings are not finally distinct, however, since common participation involves mutual association. The fellowship of the people of God is grounded in a common participation in the life of God. What does that mean? Turn open, turn First Peter chapter 2. We've used this verse a few times during this series to talk about God's value of his people, value of what he's doing. And it gives us a good picture of who we are now. That God has made us his people. Verse 9, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. What do we find here? We, well, there's this particular word, into, that I want us to pay, pay particular attention to right now. Because what Peter is describing is that we are now a people. We once, once were not a people, now are a people. And we have been called, chosen, anointed to proclaim something. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's a very interesting concept there because he didn't say called us to be around his marvelous light. He says he called you to be into his marvelous light. God is a fellowshipping God. This is evidenced in the mystery of the Trinity and the Trinity is a mystery. God is three in one. Think about that. God is three in one. Very beginning of the Bible, we find that he is saying, let us make man in our image. Then in Deuteronomy, he declares, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Okay. How we have us and one, three, what we see, we see all over scripture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This messes with our thinking. G.I. Packer says this, The historic formulation of the Trinity, which is derived from the Latin word trinitas, meaning threeness, seeks to circumscribe and safeguard this mystery. Understand that. It seeks to circumscribe and safeguard this mystery, not explain it. For that is beyond us. And it confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been able to handle. Yes. But this is very important. It's not easy, but it's true. Last week, we, as a family, with the little girls, were describing, seeking to describe the Trinity and trying to, and, and seeing kids try to interact with three in one is, is a, a <laughs> an adventure in and of itself. Because I'm describing, well, God, he's one God, but then he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So then, later on that day, Kathy asked them, well, how many gods are there? And they all responded, three. 
Well, no, they're one. Well, no, Daddy said it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's three. But they're one. How in the world does that work? Because you know what? We're just grown up kids. We do the same thing. We go, wait, I just don't understand this. How can God be three in one all at the same time? This is a mystery. We're not seeking to explain it, for that is beyond us. We're seeking to circumscribe, safeguard this mystery and understand the implications of this mystery. It's not easy, but it is true. God is one God that expresses himself in three ways. Three beings, persons, not beings, just three. See, how do you describe this? This is, this is difficult. God is not one person in three roles. It's a topic known as modalism. God doesn't have three modes. He doesn't put on his father hat and then put on his son hat and then put on his Holy Spirit hat and do the, whatever he's got the hat on that he's doing. It's not what, what God is. God's not a cluster of three beings. He's not... And, and years ago uh, in children's ministry, I heard this described, that God... They took an egg and put it before the kids and said, God's kind of like an egg because you have one egg, but the egg's made up of three things. It's made up of shell, it's made up of the yolk, and it's made up of the... What's that other part? The white stuff. It's white when you cook it. It's not white when you... It's clear before you cook it. But you know, the egg... The egg doesn't describe... Because that was being used to describe the Trinity. Good attempt. But it's not quite accurate. Because the egg is three distinct parts wrapped up in one. That's not what God is. God's not a cluster of three beings just kind of interwoven and together. God interacts with himself on the basis of relationships. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit relates to himself in such perfection of fellowship and unity and cooperation that it makes him one. Should I understand that? God relates to himself in such perfection of fellowship, unity, and cooperation. His love for himself is so unified and perfect that it makes him one. Makes him one God. So God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is the same God. Their cooperation, their unity, their love for each member of the Trinity is so strong and, and, and mighty that it makes them one. J.I. Packer also says this, the Father, this is just to describe how they cooperate and interrelate with one another. The Father initiates, the Son complying, and the Spirit executing the will of both. Now this, this is huge for us to think about and try to ponder because it's just, it's beyond us. And let me throw this in there. It's not, God's not, an, uh, He's not idolatrous to love Himself. We, we like the fact that God loves Himself because that makes Him God. If John Piper says, if God is not out for his glory in all things, that makes him not God, because the essence of being God is being number one, right? So if God's not out to make sure that we all understand that he's number one, then he's not number one, that he's not God. So he needs to be number one, and he needs to let us know that he's number one, because we're not going to figure that out for ourselves. 
In our sinfulness, we want to make ourselves number one. But God is number one. He is about making himself number one. But he is about fellowshipping with himself. He shares in. The the three of the Trinity share in. They participate in. They partnership in. They communion together with such perfection that it makes them one. We come close to that with the analogy of marriage, but still we are... We're far off in understanding this mystery, but need to know the implications of it. God is self-sufficient and enjoyed the fellowship that he had with himself before the world began. God was not lonely and thinking, oh, we're just, we're, we're worn out on relating with one another, so let us make man in our own image. That We have to be careful not to take our own faulty, oftentimes sinful experiences in life and attribute them to God. We get lonely. God doesn't get lonely. God is self-sufficient. He, he related and fellowshiped with himself before the world began. But what we find in Genesis is God making man for the purpose of understanding and knowing his fellowship. God seeks and secures fellowship with his people. This is evidence in the storyline of the Bible. Think about the garden. The garden we have fellowship is established. God makes Adam and Eve. He is then, the Bible tells us that he was walking in the cool of the evening with Adam. What? What that must have been like. They're in a perfect place. They're enjoying time together. We don't know how long this went on before the fall. This could have been millennia. That they're experiencing life with one another. But it may not have been. But yet, we do know that Adam and Eve walked at Adam's walking with God in the cool of the evening in the garden. He's fellowshipping with God. He's enjoying the presence of God. He's enjoying the unity of who God is revealed to him as they're walking. And he's enjoying that presence. But then we have the fall, where we have the fellowship is broken. And then we have the giving of the law. And the law is a testimony of, look, fellowship will be regained. It can be regained. But because of sin, we can't do that. So the law, that's why Paul says the law is our tutor to point us to one that can fulfill the law. To why? Restore fellowship. Because it's been broken. But we see, we see the law saying we're going to regain this fellowship. But then we have the prophets who then prophesy and say there's a promise of redemption. There's a promise that fellowship will happen again. Involved in that is judgment. You were wrong. You are wrong. Please change because that's not fellowship with God. There's going to be one that will secure that. And God's the one seeking after that. God's the one promising that. And then we have uh, redemption happening in Christ. Fellowship is realized. Culminating in the book of Revelation where fellowship is forever. It's a wonderful storyline of the Bible that needs to be paid attention to because it's about God doing something very interesting. The progression... This progression that I just described is the story of God rescuing his people, his chosen people from the grips of sin and death, which is death is separation from that fellowship, in order for them to experience and enjoy the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for eternity. But this is how God does it. This is what I love. Because in Ezekiel, we find out something very interesting about how God's going to solve this problem. God let the law out there and he said, look, do these things, you will understand. And the law is, a, is, is just for us 
uh, the Ten Commandments, just taking those ten, is God displaying, this is what I enjoy in the fellowship of me being one. The law is a picture of His holiness, which He enjoys in the perfection of being one with Himself. Well, we can't do that because of our sin. We can't attain to that. We can't regain this on our own. God knows that all the time, and He says, this is what I'm going to do. I, and we we find this in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. God says, I'm going to give my people a new heart. I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to put within them a heart of flesh. But what am I going to do more than that? I'm going to put my spirit in them. See, this is different than even what Adam experienced. Adam was around the fellowship of God. God then says, I'm going to take my people out of the throes and the grips of death and sin, which is ultimate separation from my fellowship. And what I'm going to do to make sure that I have it forever and they have it forever is I'm not just going to put them around me again. I'm going to put me in them. Amazing. In our imperfection, in our sinfulness, God says, I'm going to take your heart out. I'm going to give you a new heart, but that heart is going to be vibrant and alive because my spirit is going to be there. And he secures this also in Jeremiah 32, 39, when God says he's going to give his people one heart and one way, and he's going to put the fear of himself in us so his people will fear him forever. Wonderful security in that, but also there's a terror that goes on with that because, wait a minute, God, with his people, as he redeems them, puts his spirit in them. God of the universe, solving the problem by saying, I'm going to put myself in them. No longer will they be around me, but I will be in them. And then Jesus, in John 17, 20 to 23, this is Jesus' prayer for the people of God. He describes that. He says, he prays, Father, may they be one as we are one, I in them, and they in me. Amazing. God is in His people. God saved us so that we'd have a relationship with Him in His fullness. And we talk about that. And that's a common feature at the tables during Alpha and stuff. When we say, you know, before I just knew of having... God was far off. There was something about God that I knew He was God. He was big. He was powerful. But He wasn't close to me. And and I was walking through the formalism of religion. But now I have a relationship with God. What are we describing there? The relationship is God coming after us, putting himself in us. And now we get to experience his fellowship with himself. Our relating to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit display and reveal his relating with himself. But now, what happens now? Now we share in the fellowship the very communion of the Godhead, of the Trinity. We share and participate in this. We have fellowship with God. Paul says this in a couple of his letters, Ephesians being one, where he says there was hostility, but now there's peace. Why? Because God broke down, Christ broke down that barrier, broke down that dividing wall, because God was zealous about doing something. He was zealous about making us experience His fellowship. What happened when Jesus died to the curtain? 
torn from top to bottom, the curtain that's held, the holiest of holies, God's very presence back there. Nobody can go in there, only the priest. Once a year, he had to do all the cleaning for himself, the preparations, in order to enter this. But God says, no longer. I rip this. I'm in my people now. And now we have fellowship with him. We get to experience the satisfaction that God experiences in himself. We are to fellowship with God. We're to share and participate with Him in His love, His glory, His grace. And we find that we delight in it. 1 Peter 3.18 talks about how Jesus died for our sins, that He might bring us to God and make us alive, present us alive to God. And Ephesians 2.18, in this one concise verse, we have a Trinitarian access that we now enjoy. For through Him, through Christ, we both, this is Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Now, simply because we have access with God should make us go, wait a minute. God, I am all too often aware of my own sinfulness, of my own idolatrous cravings, and yet you knew all that, decided to be in me. Now I get to participate and share with your joy in being perfect in your fellowship, perfect in your union, perfect in your communion with one, with, with yourself. And I have access to the throne of God. And we, have, we, we are told by the writer of Hebrews to be bold in our access. To come before the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because you have been redeemed to enjoy the fellowship of God. The communion that He has with Himself. Through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul tells the Corinthians, We have been called into the fellowship of God's Son. And then in 1 John 1.3, we have fellowship with the Father and His Son. And we know the Spirit is the one that's enacting this. He's, he's, he's carrying out the will of both. Look at John Owen's thoughts on now this communion that we have with God. Now, communion is the mutual sharing of those good things which delight all those that in that fellowship. This was so with David and Jonathan. 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 Their souls were bound together in love. Their love for one another was shown in various ways. But their love was nothing in comparison to the love that is between God and His people. The fellowship of love is far more wonderful. Those who enjoy this communion are gloriously united to God through Christ and share in all the glorious and excellent fruits of such communion. Our communion with God lies in His giving Himself to us and our giving ourselves and all that He requires to Him. This communion which God with God flows from that union which is in Christ Jesus. We, we are participating in the, in, in the fellowship of God Himself that He enjoyed from eternity past. Enjoyed that fellowship. He was self-sufficient in that fellowship. He did not crave anything else. But yet, he desires to make man. And when man blows it, he says, this is what I'm going to do to ensure they never blow it again. I'm going to put myself in them so they can experience fully what my fellowship with myself, my unity is all about. We share 
in this glory of God, this fellowship communion, through what? Through the spiritual disciplines. We pray. When we pray, we're participating, we're asking God, and we do this all by faith, because faith pleases God. Faith that we go, God, this is not easy to comprehend, it's not easy to understand, but I believe it's true, so therefore I'm going to step out of faith, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray as if my life depends on it. But I'm going to pray in a way that says, God, have me enjoy the fellowship that you have with yourself that you want me to commune with you in. And when we pray, we begin to get God's mind and we enjoy His thoughts about what we're facing. It may be our day. may it be a family member, a loved one that's sick or rebellious. We enjoy God's thoughts about Himself and we're able to pray that back to Him. Something happens to us. What is happening to us in prayer? We're enjoying God's fellowship. When we worship, I can remember so often times of worship and this hit me pretty seriously watching the building go down over in Lakeview. What I remembered most vividly is times of worship when I just knew, God, you're so close to me, you're in me, and I have such a peace in my life that I can't explain. And that only came from God. And that happens so often in worship when we, when we have those times where we, we don't care who's around us. We don't care how we sound like. We're belting it out off key. doesn't matter. Why? Because God, I want to experience your fellowship. We do this in receiving the preached word. There's an interaction going on. God proclaiming His Word. There's an interaction that we have with that. It's interacting with us and what's happening. There's a stirring going on to where we're being moved to say, God, I want more of You. I want to experience more of You. That's fellowship with God. We experience fellowship with God by our giving. When we are declaring, God, I'm not living by my own resources. I am I'm spending on You. As a result of God, You are my sufficiency. I don't look to anything in the world to supply anything for me because you are my supply. We don't visit the fellowship of the Trinity. We exist in it. And the spiritual disciplines only enhance our experience of that fellowship. We don't practice spiritual disciplines in order to get this fellowship. We, we practice spiritual disciplines to enjoy and become more familiar and become greater in the experience of our fellowship with God. But you know, this has effect on our lives. The implications of us having communion with God are that we have, we have motivation now toward holy living. We have a motivation toward holiness. 1 John 2.6 says, If we abide in Him, we ought to walk as Jesus did. There's the abiding word that we find also in the Gospel of John. That abiding word is about be in the fellowship of God. If you're in me, if you abide in me, Jesus is saying. And now John is saying, look, if you say you abide in him, then you ought to walk as he did. And he walked perfectly. We see later on in chapter 2 that this, if we're abiding in him, we're not going to result to love the world. Because if we're loving the world, then we're not abiding, we're not enjoying the fellowship of God. Because if we're enjoying the fellowship of God, guess what? Our lives are going to be purer. They're going to be righteous. Our motives, our choices, our thoughts, everything will be toward holiness. And in verse 17 of chapter 2, John says, You abide forever as you abide in Christ. A few years ago, I heard a man named Terry Virgo at one of the Sovereign Grace conferences just give an illustration of how we ought to pursue 
thinking about being holy for God. And he gave the analogy of a bride. And we are the bride of Christ. We learned that from Scripture. He gave this analogy that says, you know, a bride on her wedding day is, is going to do whatever it takes to make sure her dress is spotless when she gets to the ceremony. She's going to pick up the dress. If there's a puddle, she's picking it up. She's understanding where she's going and stuff. And I would add to that analogy this way. You never see a procession on whether it be a Saturday or whatnot there. I mean, we hire cops for this. We, want, we don't want to stop by stoplights. No, no stoplights. I want to go through the stoplights because I've got a place to go. I've got a destination. It's got to happen. You don't see, the bride's not sticking her head out of the window. Wait, 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 wait. Let's stop right here. Look, look. I really would like the Whopper from Burger King right now. If we saw that, we'd go, uh, this doesn't match up. You know, she's not stopping off. Look, I, I could use a Starbucks before we head over to the church, so can we just stop right here? No, a bride is about one thing, about getting to that church and doing whatever it takes to get there in wholeness, in purity. And we ought to embrace our communion with God. We are fellowship with the holiness of God. That motivates us to say, God, I don't want to bring filth into my fellowship with you. I want to stay clear of it so I can enjoy the purity and perfection of your fellowship and unity. Fellowship with God also motivates us toward evangelism. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus says, Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus saying? You now enjoy fellowship with God. Now go out and tell other people to come enjoy it with you. Very simple look, but yet, yeah, that's what God wants to do. He has other sheep that are not, not of this fold. He has other people that He wants to experience the fellowship that we've come to love and, and enjoy so much. He wants us to go out and tell others to get them to enjoy it, the same thing. Fellowship with God also motivates us toward fellowship with the body of Christ. Trinitarian communion leads to church body communion. It, it does. It's not a negotiable. This morning we will celebrate communion together. And so often that can lose a sense of dearness to us because we're not practicing the communion that we say we're practicing. When we come together as a church and we celebrate communion and we remember, like Jesus said, we remember what He has done. When do this in remembrance of Me. What are we saying? We're saying, God, I've enjoyed my fellowship with You and I am so grateful for it. I enjoy it in an ever-increasing and an ongoing measure. I celebrate that now by taking this little symbol of your body and the symbol of your blood. And Jesus said this, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. That was The Pharisees heard that freaked out because way over in Leviticus it says, don't even think about drinking the blood or eating the blood. But Jesus comes and says, oh, no, 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 no. If you don't drink my blood, you have no part of me. That was a huge hurdle for them to overcome. But you know, I believe the simplest way that communion illustrates fellowship it's the body of Jesus in us. We consume it. But we're all doing that together. So we're all saying, and that's why Paul, when he brings, he says, look, before you take communion, make sure your life is okay. Make sure that you're experiencing a level of holiness, that you're not bringing a reproach, and you're not, you're not dirty in your gown on the way to the communion table. Make sure that your life says communion with God. And communion with 
one another, as we'll look at the next topic. Biblical fellowship experience. If you would please turn to 1 John. A couple books to the right. First John 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk, walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a reality going on here that John is saying, look, if you have fellowship with God, if you are in the light as the light is in you, then the direct result was that you will have communion, fellowship, sharing in, participation with those that are around you. You will have fellowship with one another. Based on our common ground, based on our common experience of the light of the gospel, our mutual sharing of the life of God in fellowship with God, we now share with one another what we're sharing with God with. Did you get that? We share with one another what we enjoy participating and sharing with God in. We share with one another. We have this effect going on. And this effect is supposed to have the result of making us one. Because we, as we enjoy God's fellowship, there should be a unity that happens in His people. Because there can't be dissension in God. If there's dissension in God, then He's not God. But He wants us to walk in that light and have fellowship with one another. We have a common sharing toward a common goal. We delight in the glory of God and we display the glory of God through sanctification. We go from satisfaction to sanctification. We are satisfied in the fellowship of God and our experience of that. Now we're moving on to sanctification because we want to proclaim who God is. And even in our proclamation, we have a satisfaction in who God is and it's just cyclical. And we enjoy that. But we need, we move, we move from delighting to displaying and being conformed into the image of Christ. And we need one another. We don't walk out the Christian life alone. God simply just didn't do it that way. You know, I think it's the rarity. If we took a poll, we might find this to be true. I think it's the rarity that we have people that got saved with no other personal interaction with anybody else. Most of us got saved through somebody else sharing the gospel with us. We saw a life that was different. It was unique. So we can think about it this way. If God didn't bring us to Christ alone, why would He have us walk alone after Christ? He wants us to be with one another. Listen to Josh Harris's thoughts from excellent book, uh, Stop Dating the Church. My individual and direct relationship with God through Jesus is the greatest privilege, and He is truly all I need. And yet God, in His wisdom, has created all of us to need others too. Is this a contradiction? Not at all. For God has ordained that much of His grace flows to us through others. Says Pastor John Piper, sanctification is a community project. I would take that little phrase, sanctification is a community project, and think, sanctification is a koinonia project. It's a fellowship project. So how do we achieve this fellowship? We have 
in our lives, before us, we have things that, that are, we are to do, we have a responsibility to pursue in order to gain fellowship. And these are just a few different areas that we can walk through in our lives to experience the fellowship that we desire with one another. And the first is in the application of truth. We experience fellowship with God through the application of truth. We experience fellowship with one another as we seek to apply truth together. James 1, says, Don't be hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves, but be doers of the word. Don't be, a, don't be a man, like a man who goes to the mirror and looks at himself and then immediately when he walks away, forgets what he looks like. James is saying, remember what God wants you to do and do it. And pick on you a little bit. In your covenant group meetings, covenant group leaders are going to be my best friends after I say this. In your covenant group meetings, if you have a difficult time trying to figure out what God showed you in the sermon, we have a concern that you're deceiving yourself into thinking. See, it's very easy for us to look in the mirror and we go, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Gotcha. Ooh. And we walk away, forget what we, what we even looked at. Uh, we, we ought not come to our meetings on Saturday and Sunday mornings and just be satisfied with hearing the word. There needs to be a pursuing of applying the word. And you, you guys bless the pastoral team over and over and over again by saying how much you love the preaching of this church. We don't believe you. But we think you're sincere. And we're nice in, in our response to you. But here's what we get excited about. We get excited about when you come to us and you don't say, man, that was a great message. We get excited when you come to us and you say, here's how I know what I need to do when I walk up those doors. This is what I know we need to do. I've got to do this. I've got, and, and I'm going to go to my covenant group and I'm asking them to help me. I'm going to go before them and say, look, here's what God showed me. Here's what the adjustment I need to make in my life. And I'm going to pray for the Spirit's power in order to fulfill that. And I'm going to do it. Because those are the stories we tell other pastors and other people when they ask us about the church. And we are thrilled to share those stories now. But give us some more stories. Be doers of the Word. Take advantage of your covenant groups. They've been designed primarily for the application of truth. So we don't just hear it, we do it. We don't want to come to these covenant group meetings and just put on... You know, you can talk about putting on the clothes, but you never put them on. You just, it's like the laundry basket, everything you take out to fold. You just, oh, this is great color, it's going to look great on you. You set it aside. Oh, I just, yeah, it's probably the right size. And you set it to the side. And then everybody leaves and the clothes are still there. And if it's your size, put it on. If it's your color, if it's going to look good on you, put it on. It's God's design. It's His desire. If you put on a shirt and it's too big, too small, then you figure out, wait a minute, that's the wrong one. I need the other one. And But we do that together. I know... Uh, feels like eons ago. It could have been three weeks ago. But Keith used an example of people taking all their baggage, coming to uh, a, a meeting together, and they take all their baggage, baggage and just dump it in the middle of the room. And then talk about it, talk about all the baggage. But what happens after you talk about it, it's, it's time to leave, and it's kind of like, okay, see you later. <laughs> Let me get all my bags. Bring them out with me. Look, we, we hope our covenant group meetings are about coming together, saying, look, here's my baggage. It might be from two weeks ago. It might be from 20 years ago. But I know God doesn't want me walking with it. Help me. We need others in this journey. 
We experience fellowship with one another through the application of truth. We experience fellowship with one another through mutual encouragement. This is the, the one another's of Scripture. We practice the one another's. We are we're confessing sin to one another. We are forgiving one another. We are pursuing one another. We're serving one another. But in order to be mutually encouraging, you need to be known and you need to know the people that you're walking with. Being known is being easy and vulnerable around people. Do you need an interrogation lamp to figure out what's going on in your heart? Does somebody need to come across to you and say, okay, where were you last night? What was in your heart? What was in your mind? I mean, does it take 20 questions for you to go, okay, look, I need to grow in, uh, in this area of my life. Be vulnerable with the people you walk around with, that you, you relate, that you share in the life of God with. Do it by faith. Transparency leads to transformation. Be easy to know. Get along with people. Be known. Open up. We also experience mutual encouragement by knowing others. We can be very intent on letting everybody else know who we are. But do you take the effort to know others? Do you draw, out, draw them out with wisdom and understanding, saying, look, I want to find out what's going in your heart so I can be a means of encouragement to you? Taking a genuine interest in the lives of others, sharing in joys and in sufferings of those you are walking with. Matt did an outstanding job in his message a couple months ago about how we, we rally around people in suffering. This church does an amazing job of rallying around people walking through suffering. I got to experience that this year with my crazy health issues that I went months trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, you loved me and you encouraged me. Every one of you came up to me saying, I'm praying for you. How are you feeling? And a few of you said, uh, I miss your smile. I'm happy to be smiling again. And it's because of your prayers. It's because of your encouragement of me. Your bearing, your interest in my life when I was in my short time span of suffering. But you, you do well and you excel. We experience fellowship also with correction that's done in care. We... Uh, we always treat having to bring an observation to somebody like it's Esther. Like, okay, we need to call national fast, prayer, because look, I really need to bring this to the attention of somebody. And, and I believe God's appointed me for such a time as this. It really shouldn't have to be that dramatic. It really can be in a spirit of inquiry, just asking a bunch of questions. You know, I, I saw something, just the way you interacted with your wife. I don't know if this is a pattern. I don't know. I'm coming on this just as an outsider. But what was going on in your heart during that moment? You're experiencing biblical fellowship. You're experiencing the fellowship of God in that moment. We experience biblical fellowship through genuine love expressed and experienced. Through serving one another. Stirring up one another to love and good deeds. We, we display genuine love and experience genuine love when we leave a Christ-like mark on everybody we come in contact with. I heard it said years ago, I forgot who even said this, but it's always stuck in my mind. When people leave you, do they have this thought? 
I want to love God like He loves God. I see Jesus all over Him, and I want that too. We have biblical fellowship as we encourage one another in that way as we express genuine love. We also have biblical fellowship by sharing recent experiences of the life of God and the being of God with the people that we're around. This comes with questions of, what's God showing you? And an excitement to say, let me tell you. It's been great. It's, I've been in this book in the Bible, and then this happened, and this happened, and then this person had a word for me, and, then, and, this, and God is showing me himself. And there's fellowship that occurs when we do that with one another, and we're able to share different experiences and encourage one another and, and understand the fellowship of God. We share experiences together. We need to be intentional about sharing these things. C.J. Mahaney says, we need to move beyond relaxing to relating. Look at this quote from C.J. also in your notes. Nothing compares to the fellowship we enjoy when we worship together, study and apply scripture together, encourage and correct each other, and communicate to one another our current experience of God. Nothing. Social activities can create a context for fellowship, but they are a place to begin, not a place to remain. Analyze how you spend time with people. Analyze who it is that you call over. Do you call the people that you're just simply comfortable with because you know you get along because you, you just have those mutual interests? Well, take those people, go deeper with them. What's your recent experience of the being of God? What's, been, what's your fellowship with God looking like? Let's share that together. And you know what? This doesn't look like every single time you come together. If you do come together to play Scrabbles, look, can we, can we pray and worship before we start the game? Because I want this to be fellowship. No, it, it, it doesn't have, we want an atmosphere of fellowship. We want an atmosphere where it's not awkward for somebody to, to say, hey, what's God doing in you? And you know, I, I think we're concerned that we don't have an easiness about how we relate. Because there's a, a timidity and a fear of, well, uh, I want to ask how God's showing himself to you. No. So we just move on to the next meeting, the next encounter. Well, we want an atmosphere where it's easy. Say, what's God showing you? Because, you know, those times usually to prayer, those times usually to ministry, those times usually to times of worship. And, you know, if you ever experience one of those times where you've come together to play a game or something, but it's, it's become fellowship. You walk away with the fellowship, not with the game. That's what we want to create an atmosphere of. We have hindrances to overcome. There are, there are idols of individualism that attack biblical fellowship. There's the idol of the fear of man that attacks biblical fellowship. There's the idol of self-sufficiency that attacks biblical fellowship. Thinking that we can do this on our own. There's also the hindrance of past hurts and resulting bitternesses. You may have opened your life up and it just went the wrong way. We are sorry for that. But we get to walk with one another with all of our imperfections because we're pursuing perfection. Pursuing the perfection of God together. Have faith. Trust the Lord that He wants to do yet again something for your life as you open yourself up to biblical fellowship. Now, the result of fellowship. The result of biblical fellowship is experiential unity and communion in this church, in the church of God. We have communion with one another. 
we have unity with one another. And if we have the unity that we're, we're embracing and experiencing with God, then we don't want to bring gossip and slander and malice into those situations. Because we want to protect everybody else's wedding gown as well as ours. We delight in one another as we delight in God. There's also a visible unity. There's a glory of God that's displayed. This is what, again, another thing that Jesus asked for in John 17, that they may be one as we are one. The world is looking on. And we display the oneness of God, His otherness as we move into sanctification, as we pursue sanctification, as we own holiness, as it becomes an experience of our lives. God's glory is made known. You know, an interesting thing to think about is also that we increase our future experience in heaven. When we fellowship with God, we are creating, uh, enlarging our capacity to be full of God in heaven. As we experience fellowship with one another, we enlarge our capacity to experience the presence of God, the fellowship of God in heaven. And we grow up into Christ. We grow into mature manhood. And that's God's desire. That we be the mature body of Christ because others are looking on. Spiritual beings that we have no idea where they are, who they are. They're looking on. They're looking. They're peering in to see something of God in us. In our experience of the fellowship of God. Our experience with our fellowship with one another. And now we're going to move into our time of communion. So if the, the guys who have been asked to help with communion would come up now. Again, we are we're desiring to experience communion, experience communion, not just eat something, drink something. But let's be reminded, this is about Christ in us and the amazing grace that God has displayed to us by taking us with all of our annoyances. You don't think we annoy God? I mean, thank God, th- I'm grateful that God is patient. With all the sins that I repeat and repeat and repeat, and God still in His patience and kindness corrects me and adjusts me. And we get so petty about who annoys us and who irritates us in church and our covenant groups. Come on, you, you annoy God. He doesn't retract Himself from who you are. He says, no, we're moving in this together. But celebrating this communion is this. I'm going to commit myself to the people that I'm around. Jesus says, you are in me and I enjoy the fellowship that I have with you. I want to experience that, the visibility of that, as I have fellowship with the people that I'm around. And we desire to do this as a church. This, uh, y'all, most of you are familiar with how we have done this in the past. Uh, but just to explain it quickly again, the usher will dismiss your row. And on your row, please move to your right and come down the aisle and uh, take the elements from whoever it happens to be in front of you. Okay? Let's go.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. that he longed 
to have with his disciples. Imagine what's in the heart of Jesus in this moment. He is, death is pending. He feels it. But yet in his joy, he is zealous about being in his people. And we are amazed that God would sacrifice himself, be our substitute, so that we could enjoy the fellowship of his oneness. You are God's chosen people whom he has put his spirit within. we take the emblem of the body. This, this is not the literal body of Christ. Christ died once and now we celebrate and remember. Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. So Father, we are, we are so grateful for your initiative of desiring a people for yourself, but greater than that desiring to take care of this of the problem and be the solution Jesus we are thankful for your obedience we're thankful for your perfect obedience while you're on this earth as we eat this may we be reminded that your obedience is to be shown and experienced in our lives Take of the crack. How amazing it would have been to to grow up uh, the Hebrew customs and hear over and over and over again. Don't touch the blood. Don't eat the blood. Life is in the blood. But yet Jesus pointing to himself, saying that. That blood you weren't supposed to have in you because that wasn't the life of God. This blood you're to have in you because it's the very life of God. And He seals us with His Spirit. Jesus, we are amazed at Your shed blood. Simply amazed. As we partake of this small emblem of your blood, may we commit ourselves to communion in the life of God. May we commit ourselves to union and communion with the life of God with those that we are around and have a responsibility toward pursuing. Jesus, thank you for the life that was in your blood that's now in us. Let's partake of Jesus. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful God. I would ask that You think right now of the people that you are close to. Think of those in your covenant group. 
Think of those that you relate to that might be outside of your covenant group. And please, pursue communion together. Pursue biblical fellowship. That we would have such glory that we experience together. That the lost come running because they, they got to have what we got. We want that. That's all. Are you coming? I want to draw our attention to the last page in your notes. It says our covenant commitment. As you know, this series is really about defining what we are committed to be as a church and walking out God's call for the church. And as Jeff highlighted for us, there is always a temptation for us to enjoy hearing something, but not necessarily to run hard after doing it. And really, this whole series is, is really about running hard after doing it. That's why it's called our covenant commitment. We are making a commitment to put feet to what we are hearing. So I want us to consider this because remember, in the end of this uh, series of teachings, uh, we're going to rethink where are we in terms of really being committed to the local body, to being the body of Christ, but in this particular expression of it. And in the end, we're going to we're going to be asked each one of us to consider: Am I willing to put my name on the bottom of this thing? Am I willing to sign a commitment in my heart by the grace of God? to walk in what God has called me to walk in. And so we don't want anybody to take that lightly. We'd rather you, and I'm going to read through this with us together before we close. We'd rather you find some elements in this and say, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I'm willing to do that. Well, then don't sign. You're welcome to, to be in this church. You're welcome to gather. But we shouldn't deceive ourselves into thinking that we are something that we're really not. That's what really makes this celebration an empty celebration. We won't live fellowship. We won't live communion. But we will take the emblems of it without the expression of it. So let's ponder these thoughts for a moment. Believing that God identifies his people as special in his affections and purpose... I therefore agree with and commit to the following biblical principles. I agree that the Bible calls me to regularly gather together with other Christians for the purpose of fellowship, teaching, serving, prayer, encouragement, and accountability. I therefore commit to make participation in the gatherings of Lakeview a priority, to miss only when necessary, and to avoid creating conflicts that would disrupt my regular involvement. I agree that God calls those in the church to love one another, to forgive one another, and to maintain the unity of the Spirit so that His love is visible and His mission is unhindered. I therefore commit to avoid opportunities to gossip or slander others and to seek to resolve any conflicts I have with others according to the Scriptures and to encourage others to do likewise. I commit to living toward others in a manner characterized by humility, love, and serving. And last, I agree that God calls me to live a life of holiness and to avoid the practice of sin as well as life choices that contain the appearance of evil. 
I agree that sin is to be resisted and overcome and not pursued or tolerated in my life. I therefore commit to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, both privately and publicly, and to seek the use of spiritual disciplines to guard my heart from temptation. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you for the word that you gave to Jeff for us to let us have a peek into elements that reside deep in your own heart. A fellowship that is pure, that is holy, that exists modeled within the Godhead. And that quite often what we have in our midst is tainted by our sin and individualism in a way that does not exist in your fellowship. Lord, thank you that what we've celebrated today, this communion that we look back on, it was you accomplishing a work that broke down the barrier, broke down the dividing wall that separated us from you and us from one another. Lord, give us a sense in our own hearts of what doorway you reopened in your death and resurrection in these categories. Lord, that you are eager, as a loving Father, you are eager to see your children rush through them. Oh, Lord, would you give us a glimpse in your own heart of this gathering of your children, Lord, standing at the door, awaiting for it to be opened so that we might run through the door and embrace what you have on the other side for us. Lord, it's always a blast to watch the kids run out of here when they're dismissed to children's ministry. But give us a sense that you have opened the doorway to fellowship, that you have delighted in the day that it would return, and you would give to us the means by your forgiveness and by the reconciliation of the cross and by the power of the Spirit that we might actually walk in this fellowship, and it would be ours to possess, taste, and experience. Lord, bring us into your passion for this issue in our lives and give it to us as a priority as it is for you and find in this church an expression of your godly fellowship seen in our lives all for your glory in Jesus name no more separation there is no more need to hide you have brought us near oh Jesus across the great divide there is no more condemnation since the blood flowed from your side you have brought us near oh Jesus across the great divide That you came to bear my guilt and take my blame to save me from heaven to a cross of pain. Oh, the distance that you came, so I would love you without shame. You save me. 
There is no more separation. There is no more need to hide. You have brought us near, oh Jesus, across the grave divide. There is no more condemnation since the blood come from the side. You have brought us near, oh Jesus, across the grave divide. I it out of glory to your name. Thank you. 